Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to be talking about Destiny, or more specifically, the music in Destiny and how copyrights, arbitration, and conflict between the composer of that music, Marty O'Donnell, and Bungie itself resulted in a fairly large contempt of court proceeding that has been headline news around the video game industry. Eurogamer found this and reported it as follows. Former Bungie composer Marty O'Donnell found in contempt of court over use of Destiny assets. And we'll return to this story as part of this video, but it's being reported even more broadly in some places, as you might expect. Here's Kotaku saying, Destiny composer ordered to pay Bungie nearly $100,000, which is... Close to true, but has some caveats to go along with it. But before we can even talk about these headlines or the Eurogamer story that really sparked this conversation, we have to talk about the conflict between Marty O'Donnell and Bungie. Now, you saw in my thumbnail, I asked the question, did Mr. O'Donnell steal his music? And I said it's complicated as an answer. I don't mean to imply that Mr. O'Donnell didn't compose or create the music of the spheres, which is the name given to the orchestral suite that he created for Destiny. No, I mean to imply that even though he created it, as far as the law is concerned, it likely isn't his. And when he uses it when it's not his, just like anything else in the world, that is a form of stealing. But in order to understand all of that, we have to go back to the original conflict point in 2015, here's a Venture Beat article that talks about this whole situation, which, if you don't know any part of the story, is absolutely fascinating. On April 16th, 2010, Bungie and Activision Publishing agreed to make a five-part video game franchise dubbed Destiny. Ah, uh, the plans of mice and men, right? Activision was going to do this for 10 years. Activision and Bungie had a falling out a few years back now, and now Bungie is doing its own thing, and I think for Destiny fans, in a way that a lot of them like, but at the start of things, everything was going to be great. We're entering into this contract. We're going to do it for 10 years and we continue. Pete Parsons, chief operating officer of Bungie, asked O'Donnell to create all of the music for the entire Destiny franchise at the same time, rather than writing the themes one at a time for each of the game installments. O'Donnell composed a symphonic suite of eight movements working with the legendary ex-Beatle Paul McCartney. O'Donnell recorded that music in early 2013, Dubbed the music of the spheres, the music will be used throughout the Destiny franchise. At least, that was the plan. The court papers say that Activision had little enthusiasm for releasing the music of the spheres as a standalone work, and O'Donnell became increasingly frustrated that Bungie was making insufficient effort to release it. So let's take a pause here. One of the things you're seeing is that Marty O'Donnell, a very, very popular, very famous music composer responsible for the Halo theme that I think every video gamer knows to some extent ingrained in their subconscious, and the very, very good Destiny music, wanted to see the work that he had done for Destiny, for Bungie, put out there in public. He wanted to see it highlighted, and that wasn't happening. And he felt, it looks like, at least from the court papers and everything that's been reported on it, that part of the reason it wasn't being marketed in the fashion that he liked is because Bungie entered into this publishing agreement with Activision. During E3 2013 preparations, Bungie was getting ready to demo the game for the first time before a huge audience at the Electronic Entertainment Expo, E3, the biggest U.S. video game show. Activision was going to play the game music with a trailer, but shortly before E3, Activision took over the trailer work and supplied its own music rather than the music of the Spheres segments. 
So you can see that friction developing even then. O'Donnell reacted angrily and believed Activision had overstepped its proper role by assuming artistic control of the trailer music. Harold Ryan, the CEO of Bungie, and management shared his concern and filed a veto letter with Activision, which overruled the objection. Now, we've looked at the Bungie-Activision publishing agreement. It's a little bit unclear how one side or the other thought they had the rights to control this particular process. Activision had certain marketing rights, which they probably felt attached to the trailer. Bungie had certain rights with respect to how that marketing was done and its own intellectual property. Remember, it owned all of Destiny as part of this agreement. So undoubtedly, this wasn't a great point in time for either Bungie or Activision and their working relationship together. But O'Donnell made it worse. During E3, O'Donnell tweeted that Activision, not Bungie, had composed the trailer music. He also threatened Bungie employees in an attempt to keep the trailer from being posted online and interrupted press briefings. And I believe the sourcing for all of this portion of the article is in the findings as the arbitrator made them. And we can go, we can look at that tweet. It's still up from 2013 during the E3 presentation. To be clear, says Marty O'Donnell, the official Destiny E3 gameplay trailer was not made by Bungie. It was made by the company that brought you COD, Call of Duty. Not even naming Activision adds a little bit more subtext to this kind of thing. And regardless of how you feel about Marty O'Donnell, who's undoubtedly a very gifted, very talented composer, when you're talking about a business relationship, this is a very, very bad thing from Bungie's side. You've got a higher up in your organization, very well known, known by name in the gaming community, essentially calling out a business partner that is going to spend tens of millions of dollars on you. And this is something that in general, regardless of how you feel about the individual, is something that's gonna to need to be taken care of on the business side and take care of it, Bungie did attempt to do in a fashion that also appears to have been unfair. Now the court filings say that O'Donnell believed he was preserving Bungie's creative process, artistic integrity and reputation, keeping faith with fans and protecting Bungie and its intellectual property from Activision's encroachment into artistic decisions, but Howard Ryan and other Bungie management felt that his conduct hurt the Bungie team, hurt the game, drove a negative online discussion, and violated Ryan's instructions. For the most part, if you're working at a company, you're going to have people that you report to, CEO, COO, those folks are going to be higher up than you, and you're mostly going to have to listen to their instructions if they're within the ambit of the services that you're providing to the company. The CEO now feels that you didn't listen to him on something of importance in public. That's going to create even more friction internally. Ryan recommended that O'Donnell be fired. He wasn't fired, but his conduct was considered unacceptable in his performance review. While Destiny was planned for a September 2013 release, the story was substantially revised in August 2013. Story should be in quotes there. The original story for Destiny as revised was no story at all, but I'll leave that aside for just a moment. Bungie then set in motion a process to terminate O'Donnell. In fact, members of the team complained that O'Donnell wasn't contributing as expected when he returned from vacation and his presence was frustrating, not helping, the completion of the audio work. O'Donnell's original stock ownership agreement held that O'Donnell would give up his unvested founder shares if he left voluntarily, and we're not going to go too deep into it. But when you get an equity interest in a company, generally speaking, there's going to be a term of vesting, which whether it's delivery of certain milestones or deliverables or just the passage of time is going to vest your ownership such that it isn't forfeited if you leave the company's employ. Unvested shares go away. Bungie terminated O'Donnell without cause on April 11th, 2014, according to the complaint, which we can also see mirrored again in Marty O'Donnell's public tweets. 
I'm saddened to say that Bungie's board of directors terminated me without cause on April 11th, 2014. Without cause, generally a term of art in the law, suggesting that there might be a cause provision in your contract that would have certain rights accrue. It's very unclear whether that was in fact the case here. And if we look at a different article here from Eurogamer in 2016, we see that the lawyers appear to have been a part of this process. Five days later, O'Donnell via Twitter announced he'd been fired. It was a tweet issued on the advice of his lawyers. There was some concern that by continuing to list Bungie as his employer on social media sites such as Facebook, he was causing some offense. So the button was pushed. So at the point in time where he felt like his public persona was potentially making things worse for Bungie or himself or even engaging in some form of fraud, his lawyer said, go tell the world that you're no longer working at Bungie, which of course has a similar kind of effect if you're Bungie. This is a big negative kind of press term and you'll have outlets reporting on it when it happened. Bungie also took legal action to recover O'Donnell's shares. The forfeiture effectively stripped O'Donnell of all rights that he would have enjoyed as a holder of shares according to the findings of fact by the arbitrator. Now, we're going to skip ahead just in a second, but the arbitrator is going to find that Bungie acted out of turn here, that they didn't have the right to go and take away all of Marty O'Donnell's stock in the fashion that they did. That's where, as a corporate lawyer, I look at this and say, oh, that's, that's going too far. Because if you've entered into contracts, you know when something's vested, when something's unvested, what rights you have. It's generally going to be written in black and white. Bungie isn't first to the rodeo here on these kinds of documents. We're talking about Series B1, Series B2, conversions into common stock. This is high-level corporate work. They knew what they were doing, and that's why they're going to get whapped pretty heavily by the arbitrator on the question of the stock itself. Now, during various events, Bungie played parts of the music that O'Donnell created. Now, there's something that's going to be said wrongly here by VentureBeat, but we're going to allow it because it's a, an important concept. The music is now considered to be in the public domain. That's wrong. We'll come back to it in just a second. But Bungie was concerned that O'Donnell had copies of the music in the form of CDs and that he was going to release it himself. So Marty O'Donnell made this music and Bungie is concerned he's going to release it himself. We're going to talk about why the music isn't O'Donnell's in just a second. It's certainly not a part of the public domain. Even if you release something publicly, you use it on a trailer. It's not like patents, where if something becomes publicly known, it can no longer be patented. Copyright is yours from the moment that it was created. And in the case of works made for hire, which is what we're going to discuss, that work is owned by Bungie. And they can use it in trailers, and they don't lose some rights to it. It's certainly not a public domain concept. But most importantly, they wanted to make sure that O'Donnell who doesn't own the music at that point in time, doesn't try to use or profit off it himself. On July 1st, 2014, Bungie stockholders elected to convert their preferred shares, Series B1 and B2, that have specific rights, into common stock. So they're unifying their capitalization table. And the arbitrator ruled that O'Donnell's rights as a shareholder should be restored, that Bungie went too far. They didn't have the contract right to do what they said they could. Bungie lawyers objected that if O'Donnell's shares were restored, he would be a bothersome presence at board meetings and in the company, according to the arbitrator. But the arbitrator overruled them and restored O'Donnell's rights. Yes, if you think that a capitalization table member, a shareholder, a founder, whatever it might be, will be a problem after they leave the company or are terminated or something else, if you're a sophisticated party like Bungie, you know how to write in the contract that you have a right to buy them out or they forfeit their shares or they're somehow not going to be a part 
of those board meetings or shareholder meetings or whatever they might otherwise be a part of. So if you're an arbitrator, you're looking at this saying, hey, you, you know how to write. You get the shares back when he leaves. You didn't write that. You can't just deem it to be so after the fact. And for those of you that have been in virtual legality for a while, you know, a lot of folks on the internet like to say, well, it's a big company. They know what they're doing. Yes, they very often do. And they very often ignore what's in the contract themselves. That's why we have arbitration. That's why we have litigation is because companies don't always do what they should, even with the letters written on the page in a contract. The arbitrator sides with O'Donnell. O'Donnell essentially gets what he was asking for. He gets to choose whether he wants shares, whether he wants the value of the shares before or after the conversion, all these kinds of good things. But the arbitrator makes an important finding. It says, in return, O'Donnell is required to return any bungee property that was not specifically gifted to him. Copies of a CD version of Music of the Spheres. And O'Donnell has done so already. I highlighted that in red because we're fighting about the fact about whether O'Donnell actually did that or not. Bungie appealed the preliminary ruling by the arbitrator and its appeal was denied. So Bungie wrongfully took the stock from O'Donnell, clearly a very acrimonious divorce in this context. And then Bungie said, okay, well, you have to give us back everything that you made for us, everything that we paid for with that stock, with compensation, because we're separating now we're going to give you back this value, but you have to tell us that you've destroyed or returned everything that you created for us. And according to this article, at that point in time, in 2015, O'Donnell said he had done so. Now, the story picks up again in 2016 and 2018 here. I've got that Eurogamer article from 2016 that talks again about the music of the spheres. It says, yet there's hope music of the spheres will one day be released despite O'Donnell being barred from having anything to do with it. Yes, it absolutely will come out, he says. It turns out much of the eight movement symphonic suite is available to listen to, 40 of the 48 minutes to be exact. An intrepid Bungie fan dug into Destiny and its marketing material and worked out song titles, the track list, and even the image used for the cover of the album and popped it all on SoundCloud. O'Donnell was impressed, although he says the effort isn't quite accurate, but it's amazingly close. Now, if you think O'Donnell doesn't have the copyright to this music, certainly SoundCloud guy doesn't have that right either, but is probably a little bit more difficult to track, make an example of, or otherwise go get money from. Not to mention you don't necessarily want to be attacking your fans in public for something like, hey, we really love your music and we want it to be available to more people. Marty O'Donnell's a little bit of an interesting question on that score. And in fact, in 2018, he put out a tweet that said, hmm, better find a way to download Music of the Spheres. Looks like Activision Bungie finally decided to take it down and here's my interview while it's still available, which again, Eurogamer jumps on, says Destiny fans have spent years piecing together Destiny's unreleased music, some going to great lengths to release what Activision and Bungie would not. More recently, fans were able to listen to the work in a leaked format, leading to Marty O'Donnell's tweet that we just said. And then Eurogamer finds a Reddit thread where Bungie says, hey, everyone, we have plans to officially release Music of the Spheres in the near future. We'll have more details for you soon. Remember, this is 2018. Marty actually responds directly to this, says, really, were you planning on telling me at some point? They quote his song back from the original Destiny back at him, and he says, still waiting uh, a long time later. So that's 2018. As you could probably tell from the article we're looking at today in 2021, it doesn't appear that that happened to any great extent. So Marty O'Donnell takes steps on his own to facilitate that release. Let's look at that article now from yesterday. Composer Marty O'Donnell has been found in contempt of court over his use of Destiny assets and now owes Bungie tens of thousands of dollars 
in legal fees. In April of this year, Bungie served the celebrated composer behind the original Halo music with contempt of court papers over videos related to Destiny that were uploaded to O'Donnell's YouTube channel and other platforms. And here's where the rubber hits the road. We're going to talk about works made for hire. We're going to talk about copyright and why it might not feel fair for a creative like Marty O'Donnell, but it's the way the law works. But more specifically, if you tell the court in a finding that's going to make you a substantial amount of money because you're getting your shares back, you're getting your value back, that you're also going to return, destroy, whatever it is, all the stuff that Bungie owns, and then you don't do that, that's going to be a big problem for you. And that's ultimately what happened. Outside of copyright, outside of everything else, who owns what? Which I think is a fairly interesting question for those of you that are following in virtual legality, might create your own stuff. If you have a court order and you do something that suggests that you didn't comply with that court order, you can expect this kind of reaction from the court. It says, Bungie said O'Donnell, who was Bungie's veteran audio director until he was fired in April 2014, was ordered to return all material related to Music of the Spheres and Destiny and was blocked from sharing or performing it as part of a 2015 injunction. Bungie said all material includes not just Music of the Spheres in their final state, but all versions, components, and variations of the tracks. That is all material involved in any way in the creation of Music of the Spheres in Destiny. Fast forward to 2019, when O'Donnell began uploading videos and other materials relating to Music of the Spheres and Destiny to his YouTube channel, as well as Bandcamp. Mr. O'Donnell's very possession of such materials proves he did not comply with the order to return all material to Bungie, said Bungie's motion in this contempt of court case. Mr. O'Donnell intentionally disobeyed the court fines and is hereby held in contempt of the September 17th, 2015 order confirming and enforcing final arbitration award entered in this matter. The court has now imposed upon O'Donnell a number of sanctions, including a third-party forensic examination of his electronic devices in order to delete any assets relating to Destiny or Music of the Spheres. O'Donnell must also remove all the relevant material from the internet. He's already done this, if you were wondering where that all went from his YouTube channel. O'Donnell must also write to any third party he is aware of who also posted the material to ask them to remove it. O'Donnell is ordered to post a message, the wording of which the parties agree to, on his Twitter, YouTube, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud sites, stating that he did not have legal authority to possess or provide material related to Music of the Spheres or Destiny, and asking anyone who previously downloaded any such assets to delete them and refrain from sharing and will destroy any copies of them. Mr. O'Donnell will refrain from making any direct or indirect public comment regarding these posts, including responses to those inquiring regarding the basis for such posts, and will let the message speak for itself. O'Donnell has so far not done this. So he has to go post a message on the various places you could have found or download this and say, please delete it, please destroy it. I didn't have the right to distribute it to you. And as Eurogamer reports, he has not done that as of yet. Continuing with Eurogamer's report, O'Donnell must also pay Bungie all money of any kind he received from the sale of related materials, and O'Donnell is ordered to pay Bungie's reasonable costs associated with the contempt proceeding, including attorney's fees. These fees are currently in dispute, with O'Donnell's representatives arguing that the near $100,000 Bungie has called for is unreasonable. So we get back to things like the Kotaku headline. You're going to see $100,000 in various places online. Effectively, what he's been ordered to do is disgorge the profits that he made on the intellectual property that the court found wasn't his back in 2015, clearly wasn't his by agreement as late as 2019 when he started doing this, and then also attorney's fees. Generally speaking, the number of dollars that he got from sales of these materials, that's going to be pretty easy to ascertain. The attorney's fees is going to be a number that is reported to him by Bungie's counsel, and that's primarily, in my guess, what he's fighting about. 
where Bungie's counsel says, hey, it's $80,000 to do a fairly simple contempt proceeding, whatever that might be. And he says, no, 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 that's ridiculous. And that's a normal kind of fight to have. You try to get the court to say what reasonable attorney's fees would be. The problem that he has is that this looks like a willful observation on his part that he didn't think the court was going to come after him for effectively ignoring what it ordered in 2015. Now, that's a pretty rookie mistake there, but it appears to be in a willful context that the court's going to be more likely to give the other side attorney's fees than they might otherwise be. So I think Mr. O'Donnell's in trouble on these kinds of things. He's going to have to disgorge his profits. He's going to have to pay attorney's fees. That might result in a fairly high number. On the other hand, you can get lawyers that are overcharging for these kinds of things. So that will wind up as some kind of number that the parties will agree upon in order to settle this up. So the court decides in 2015 that Bungie is the rightful owner of this intellectual property, not Mr. O'Donnell, even though Mr. O'Donnell made the music itself. How does this come to be? Well, that's through the concept of something called a work made for hire. I've pulled up the copyright office's circular on this that says the following. Copyright law protects a work from time from the time it is created in a fixed form. From the moment it is set in a print or electronic manuscript, a sound recording, a computer software program, or other such concrete medium, the copyright becomes the property of the author who created it. So all other things being equal, absent this concept, Marty O'Donnell goes, he composes music, it inspires him, it's created, and then it's Marty O'Donnell's. But there is an exception to this principle called works made for hire. If a work is made for hire, an employer is considered the author, even if an employee actually created the work. The employer can be a firm, an organization, or an individual. In fact, the Copyright Office isn't being as specific as I would like here. It's not limited to employment relationships. And we'll talk about that in just a second as well. It says Section 101 of the Copyright Act defines a work made for hire in two parts. One, it's a work prepared by an employee within the scope of his or her employment. Or two, it's a work specifically ordered or commissioned for use for one of nine different reasons, including as a contribution to a collective work or as a part of a motion picture or other audiovisual work. And video games in general are audiovisual works for purposes of the law like this one. And if the parties expressly agree in a written instrument signed by them that the work shall be considered a work made for hire. So if you're an employee, that's done and dusted. When you make something, you're collecting a salary, you're otherwise getting paid by your employer, you make something and it is the employer's. If you're not an employee, if you're under a services agreement, a contractor agreement, something else, independent consultant, whatever you might call it in that document, if you're creating something as a result of that relationship and it's a contribution to a collective work, it's a part of an audiovisual work, and the contract itself says it's going to be a work made for hire, then lo, it is a work made for hire. And the person that's paying you your consulting fees, your contractor fees, whatever else it might be, is the owner of, in this case, something like the music of the spheres. And as we do here in virtual reality, we can pull up examples of this. I pulled up a consulting agreement from the SEC database. Again, I don't use my own because we don't want to have any footfalls on the divulging of client identities or relationships. But we can use the SEC's filings here to see, hey, company ownership. The company is and will be the sole and exclusive owner of all right, title, and interest throughout the world in and to all the results and proceeds of the capital S services performed under this agreement. Now, this is a contractor agreement. So you're hiring on somebody as a contractor and you're saying, you're going to do X, Y, and Z for us. You're going to code this particular portion of the app. You're going to make this symphonic score for our Destiny video game. And that's going to be your capital S services. And we will be the owner of that, including 
All of the writings, technology, inventions, discoveries, processes, techniques, methods, ideas, concepts, research, proposals, and materials, and all other work product of any nature whatsoever that are created, prepared, produced, authored, edited, modified, conceived, or reduced to practice in the course of performing the services or other work performed in connection with the services or this agreement. A lot of legalese there, right? But from the lawyer's perspective, it's a long list of everything you do in whole or in part, work in process or finished, ideas on a cocktail napkin or on a whiteboard, those are ours because we're paying you money for them. Then it says, consultant agrees that the work product that we just talked about is hereby deemed work made for hire as defined in the Copyright Act, which we also just talked about, and all copyrights therein automatically and immediately vest in the company. Now you might say, Rick, what if somebody were to argue in a contract like this, it's not a work made for hire. It's not quite the right consulting arrangement. That happens. And certainly there are places that are a little bit more hard on this kind of delineation in a contract than other places. So you also add, when you're in an independent contractor context in a contract like this one, another provision that assigns the work product. It says, if for any reason, any work product does not constitute work made for hire, consultant hereby irrevocably assigns to the company for no additional consideration his entire right, title, and interest throughout the world in and to such work product, including all intellectual property rights therein. So you've got this kind of two-factor test. Work made for hire is best because it can't expire. But if for some reason you find your honor that this contract doesn't get you to the right place for work made for hire under the Copyright Act, there is a formal assignment that happens. That it's initially Marty O'Donnell's or whoever the contractor might be. And as soon as it's created, he agrees to assign it. And there'll be a lot of other language in this document or any contractor agreement that you might look at that says, I agree to sign things, to file them as might be needed to affect this assignment or to evidence that this all happened and it's yours. Then you see a little bit above here highlighted in red, upon the termination of this agreement or upon company's earlier request, consultant will deliver to the company all of the company's property, including but not limited to all electronically stored information and passwords to access such property or confidential information that consultant may have in consultant's possession or control. This that you created for the company as a consultant under a term like this one, is the company's property. You agree that when your relationship is ended, you're going to return all that stuff because it's bungees, or in this case, focus universals. And that's what you've agreed to in your contract. Now, you don't have to have this kind of relationship. You could be doing something where you're creating it and you have certain rights to it after its creation. But certainly by everything that we can see in this relationship between Marty O'Donnell and Bungie, that wasn't the case. So if you are in a creative field, if you are composing music, if you are making software, if you're giving art to someone that's making a video game or otherwise engaged in a collective process and a contract's put before you, you don't have to hire me, but you do want a lawyer of some kind to look at it and at bare minimum, even if you're not going to negotiate the terms, explain to you what happens to this thing that you're creating. You create this awesome piece of art that's going to go into a card in some video game and maybe you want to be able to sell that on your own fan site. That's got to be in here. Because if there's language like this, you wind up in a situation like Marty O'Donnell. You don't have the right to it yourself. You might be able to negotiate things after the fact. And in fact, I think a lot of people are arguing now when you look at articles like this one, that Bungie should have treated him better. That Marty O'Donnell is a part of the story of how Bungie came to be. And I don't disagree with any of that. Except that I will note that by the time Marty is putting out tweets that are essentially hurting the business relationship, he's not acting as a good citizen of Bungie either. So there's clearly friction between these folks. But you want to make sure that you understand the contracts before you. And it seems that 
Marty O'Donnell in his desire, in what I would presume to be the love of his work that he put forth for Destiny and wanting to get it out there to the public, has wound up hurting himself to a great extent because he didn't have those rights. Because he did, as far as the law is concerned, steal them for his own ends from the company that paid for their creation. That's works made for hire. And that's one of the reasons why you do need lawyers and counsel to talk you through contracts that are put before you on questions like this one. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about the business and law of video games, technology, music in Destiny, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon to support us. We've got other ways to support the channel listed below. Or if you just subscribe, give upvotes, downvotes, comments, share it with your friends, forums, tweets, Instagram, Facebook, wherever, every single little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.